Hello, and welcome to the Sunday School Supplement. I'm Amberly. I'm Kendall. And this week we studied in 1 Nephi chapters 6 through 10. Making progress, plodding along, just like Lehi and his family. <laughs> so as a summary of what happened uh, this week, Nephi explains why he's writing the Book of Mormon. I mean, he's not writing the Book of Mormon, he's writing... The plates of Nephi. Well, he is. He's he's writing the. He may not know that's what it's going to be called, but he is writing it. Yes. So so Nephi explains his purpose in writing it, and then he, Laman, Lemuel, and Sam go back to Jerusalem to get Ishmael's family. On their way back, they bind Nephi with cords and try and kill him. Lehi has his vision of the tree of life, and Nephi explains that he has two records. Lehi also does some more prophesying. So that's about it. (laughs) Is that all? Just a few visions and prophecies. Just, just, you know, just really light this week. The most important (laughs) trip back to Jerusalem, I'm sure they ever thought they would take. And then the coming back. I mean, you don't really hear about the other times that they came back, other than that Sariah was so excited to see them when they crested the mountain. But... It's good stuff. You will notice that uh, Laman and Lemuel didn't complain about this particular trip back to Jerusalem quite as much. Just just their way going back to the wilderness. That's what they complained about. All right. Well, so in the Come Follow Me this week, the little in- I love these little introductory paragraphs in the Come Follow Me. I really think they're quite good. Me too. And once again, I'm going to focus on the last sentence here. It says, and you will understand more deeply all the feelings of the tender parent who received this remarkable vision talking about Lehi. And that's kind of one of the themes that I focused on in my reading this week is just how hard this must have been for Lehi, especially. I mean, no one likes hearing bad news, much less very bad news about two of your children. And I have some further thoughts on that as we get into the actual scriptures themselves. But it goes to show how truly converted Lehi was to the Lord, how much he recognized the Spirit. We talked last week about how much how confidence Nephi must have had in recognizing the Spirit to do the things he did with Laban and the brass plates, but Lehi is obviously equally as comfortable recognizing the promptings of the Spirit and recognizing visions from God to be able to say these things to and about his family with such confidence knowing hey i have literally seen a vision from god layman and lemuel saying that you are on very thin ice yeah i mean i wrote in my notes in come follow me that family just keeps coming up i think it was in last week's come follow me this little this little beginning paragraph talking about this is the story of a family and i think that they're keeping along with that theme in the manual I mean, as well as the Book of Mormon, but just as a, if you don't have anything specific that you are studying about or for, here's what we recommend that you look closely at. Right. And I think we commented this last week too, but this really is like one of, if not the most prolonged, intimate, personal stories in all of scripture. Like, I don't think we ever get to see the workings of an entire family unit with quite as much depth and clarity as we do in this beginning part of the Book of Mormon. so Definitely not. Come Follow Me starts out in First Nephi chapter 7. Do you have anything in chapter 6 that you want to highlight before we move on to there, Kendall? Um, I did have one. So chapter 6 is where Nephi is explaining why he's writing down the record that he is beyond just oh, God told me so, which is a great reason, by the way. In verse 5, I have the verse highlighted. It says, Wherefore, the things which are pleasing unto the world I do not write, but the things which are pleasing unto God and unto those who are not of the world. I thought this was kind of neat as far as maybe a little bit of foreshadowing to, to the vision of the Tree of Life, where we see that there are those who eat the fruit and then leave after becoming ashamed because of the the mockings of the people in the great and spacious building and thinking about Lehi also telling his sons, Hey, you need to shape up. And Nephi also telling his brothers, guys, you literally saw an angel of the Lord. What the heck? 
we can and should be as kind in our admonitions to others as possible, but we can't worry about every single person that we might offend when we consider the doctrine and the beliefs that we hold. It's such a fine line, and Christ's example in the New Testament is obviously second to none as far as walking that line, but it just stuck out to me. These guys are prophets, and they're not afraid to say what the truth is, regardless of who's listening. Yeah, I have that highlighted too. And then going into verse six, I have, I have, I'll just read it. Wherefore, I shall give commandment unto my seed that they shall not occupy these plates with things which are not of worth unto the children of men. And so just kind of bouncing off of what you were just talking about, things that are pleasing unto the world. And then also, so the, these plates are plates of scripture and are meant to lead and guide and not meant to just be pleasing. Like, I really love reading the scriptures, but I also like watching stupid YouTube videos. And so (laughs) the reason that I bring that up is that, yes, they could just put a bunch of junk in here so that it would be pleasing to read in a, like, vegging out state. But really, what is uh, of worth unto the children of men is truly things that are a spiritual matter that speak to our spirit and not just our temporal being. It's kind of what I was thinking about. So you're saying that we should write down the things of God and not scripture mingled with the philosophies of men? Is that what you're saying? I mean, I don't think that I would have said it that eloquently because I am not a scriptorian. (laughs) That's okay. Neither am I. I'm just a plagiarist. (laughs) So yeah. I think that's a great highlight from chapter six of just Nephi's whole thing of this is why I'm writing these. (laughs) Moving on to chapter seven. I've got one right in the first verse. Awesome. Go for it. So I won't read the whole verse, but they go back or no, sorry. Uh, Let's see. And maybe I'll read the whole verse just so I'm not conflating it with other stories in this week's come follow me. (laughs) Uh, It says, and now I would that ye might know that after my father Lehi had made an end of prophesying concerning his seed, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto him again, saying that it was not meet for him, Lehi, that he should take his family into the wilderness alone, but that his sons should take daughters to wife, that they might raise up seed unto the Lord in the land of promise. And the part I have highlighted is the that they might raise up seed part unto the Lord in the land of promise. Hey, me too. (laughs) (laughs) I am sure that it's not lost on Nephi how much this experience that he and his family are having mirrors uh, so many different dispensations in the past. So, I mean, Noah built a boat when the world got too wicked and it was just him and his family and they kind of started over from there. Abraham left Chaldea and Ur to go raise up seed in the land of Canaan with just him. I mean, he brought a little more extended family, but it was just him and his family and some extended family, not a lot of people. And they went and became a great and mighty people. Even Adam and Eve began as just two people. The Lord is very used to, it's kind of his modus operandi to take the the few righteous people after the situation gets bad and just say, all right, we're moving over here and starting over. And I'm sure that it's not lost on Nephi that that's exactly what's happening here. I know even when it's not small groups of people, Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt, Brigham Young leading the saints out of the United States, the Lord has done this a lot. And I remember Elder Holland gave a talk about how the last days really are different because this is the first time ever when wickedness has pervaded the world The Lord has said, don't move, don't go, stay where you are. It's time to put down roots and hold your ground. I love that. Maybe I can put a link to that in the description of the podcast. I'll have to find it for you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like what you were saying because there is such an emphasis from the Lord on posterity and like if there's one thing that the Lord is going to do, He is going to make sure that there is a righteous people. He's not just going to let some, like, he's not just going to let his people and his gospel die out without a plan. 
obviously there's a great apostasy, but that's like, yes, but that was like planned. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that was not in the cards this time. So the last little bit of chapter nine talks about, uh, Wherefore the Lord hath commanded me to make these plates for a wise purpose in him, which purpose I know not. But the Lord knoweth all things from the beginning. Wherefore he prepareth a way to accomplish all his works among the children of men. For behold, he hath all power unto the fulfilling of his words. And thus it is. Amen. Sorry to skip ahead two chapters, but I feel like that just goes hand in hand of whether it's his word that he's preserving or the people that will follow him that he's preserving. The Lord is going to preserve them. He will accomplish his works. Amen. <laughs> That's what it says in Moses 139. It's his, it's his work and his glory, but I don't think there's any question that God will accomplish the things that he sets out to do. My next highlight is in verse two, and I guess it kind of goes through like verse two through what, six-ish. Um, but the highlight is just in verse four when it says Ishmael and his family and I wrote family friend because I wanted to talk to you about this of do you think that Lehi and his family knew Ishmael and his family already <laughs> and and obviously they did but I would love the backstory on the like sheer confidence of go get Ishmael and his family they will come right and that's actually that's a good point I've never actually thought about that before the fact that when Lehi says, go get Ishmael and his family, he didn't have to follow it up with, and here's who this Ishmael guy is. I saw him in a dream. I know that he'll believe your words. And that can happen. I mean, we have lots of accounts of that in the early days of the church in the kind of restoration period as well. But yeah, I'd never thought about that. I guess um, they probably did know him beforehand. Yeah. I mean, and in verse four, it talks about how they gained favor with Ishmael insomuch that we did speak unto him the words of the Lord. And in verse five, the Lord softens his heart. So, I mean, maybe it was truly from a dream, but I feel like good people attract good people and you attract people that you're like. And so it wouldn't, it truly wouldn't be surprising to me if like Ishmael was like their neighborhood ward friend. <laughs> I think it's also telling that they went to Ishmael who believed in their words as opposed to obviously for the purposes of getting spouses, this wouldn't work, but just broadening it to who are we going to take with us they obviously weren't opposed to taking other people with them as seen with zoram but where's uh, the others of lehi's family like extended family where are they did they not have enough faith in lehi's words and prophetic gifts to come with them or whose hearts were softened i mean that's the i feel like that's the sticking point in this with ishmael's family coming is that that ishmael's heart was softened and for the time period, I guess his household's hearts didn't need to be softened as well necessarily, but... Well, as we're about to see, not all of them <laughs> were entirely soft. Some of them were, though. So, anyways, we can go We can go ahead. So, speaking of, immediately after this, Laman and Lemuel and two of the daughters of Ishmael and two of the sons of Ishmael and their families decided that it would be a good idea to say, we actually don't want to keep going. We would like to turn around and go back to Jerusalem. Verse 7, And it came to pass in the witch rebellion, they were desirous to return unto the land of Jerusalem. And I actually have a highlight here, because it made me wonder. There have been several trips back and forth before. And I know last week I was mentioning how the fact that they had now lost all of their riches probably had some sort of psychological effect on Laman and Lemuel of like, man, we really have nothing to go back to now. Like now we're really, truly just up the creek without a paddle. But I wonder now if this idea of like, to heck with you, we're going back is popping into their heads because they may say, oh, we may not have riches, but now we can at least have wives and have our own family. We can maybe squat in Ishmael's now abandoned home or whatever. <laughs> but like now that they kind of have some prospects, so to speak, they're wanting to turn around and go back again. I don't know if that's the case. It just got me thinking. I was also thinking about that because of, because of what you were talking about last week of it makes more sense for them to go into the wilderness with their family. And now 
just exactly what you were saying. <laughs> right. So sometimes I, and to, to broaden that then to a lesson that we can all apply um, as opposed to just sitting here and psychoanalyzing Laman and Lemuel. Sometimes I think when we start getting blessings in life, we begin to kind of spiritually coast, so to speak. It's like, oh, I'm seeing the blessings of the Lord. I'm good now. Like I can, I can kind of go back to what I was doing. I got my blessings. I'm good. But that's obviously not how it works. We never actually make it to the promised land if we do that. That segues really well into the... I don't know if this is going to be a theme, but I really loved the conference talk that Come Follow Me links this week. Uh, It's called Stand by the Tree by Kevin W. Pearson. One of the things he talks about... So this is going to the tree of life. So I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Not really. His quote in here is... But when trials and challenges come our way, we are often told to simply hang in there. Let me be clear, to hang in there is not a principle of the gospel. Enduring to the end means constantly coming unto Christ and being perfected in him. And I really loved that quote because I've been thinking since I read this about hanging in there and how I'm like, I, I just started back um, at college today. And this semester, I'm like, I'm hanging in there. (laughs) And after reading this, I'm like, am I just hanging in there or am I enduring well? And I think that, I don't know, I have a couple thoughts about hanging in there. Because I think sometimes if all you can do is hang in there, that that's all you can do. And then you can like pull yourself up by your bootstraps or better yet, somebody can minister to you and help you endure better like the women that I have surrounded myself with in the last few years helped me endure rather than just hang in there not to take us totally into the weeds but I just I just was thinking about that with Layman and Lemuel how much are they just hanging in there because this is like well my dad made me do this right they're very much a grit your teeth and bear it type of thing I'm I'm pretty sure I I may be remembering this incorrectly, but eventually they come to the area that they call Bountiful before they make the boat. And I'm pretty sure Lemmy and Lemmy are like, great, we're here, promised land, done. And it's like, uh, no, 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 we got a whole ocean to go. <laughs> um, but yeah, we I, I agree. I think that if you need to stop and take a breath while you're holding to the iron rod, that's fine. But you got to keep putting one foot in front of the other to eventually get to the tree. Oh, for sure. Well, and this little trip like quote unquote little trip from the point of where they are starting out now to going to the promised land, like some scholars looking at footnotes and and various things uh, talk about it being like possibly an eight year, or I feel like I've heard even longer, but about an eight year trip. So to Lehman Lemuel's credit, I also would say it's been eight years. I am sitting on this beach We'll come to that next week or the week after, but we can just go back to here. So in chapter seven, let's see. So just to, just to wrap up in chapter seven, verse 12, Nephi is finishing his little lecture, the, the what the heck dudes lecture, as I like to call it. And he finishes that off with, wherefore, let us be faithful to him. Because like, dudes, you saw an angel, you've seen all this stuff. What is going on? Just be faithful to God. It's not that hard. I'm doing it and I'm younger than you. And the end of that, so after that, Nephi then goes on to kind of explain to them why exactly they're leaving Jerusalem, saying, yeah, we're all going to die if we stay there or be captured and taken into Babylon. And in verse 15, he says, Now behold, I say unto you that if you will return unto Jerusalem, ye also shall perish with them. And now... If ye have choice, go up to the land, and remember the words which I speak unto you, that if ye go, ye will also perish. So he's literally telling them, it's like, guys, you don't have to, like, you you can just leave. (laughs) I don't recommend it, but you can. No one's stopping you. And how do they respond to that? You'd think they'd be like, you know what, Nephi? You're right. Bye, and just go back to Jerusalem, because that's obviously what they seem to be wanting to do. But... That's not what they do. In verse 16, it says, And it came to pass that when I, Nephi, had spoken these words unto my brethren, they were angry with me. And it came to pass that they did lay their hands upon me. For behold, they were exceedingly wroth, and they did bind me with cords, for they sought to take away my life. 
that they might leave me in the wilderness to be devoured by wild beasts. So they didn't just leave. No, they instead got angry and desired to kill Nephi. I know I said that we should probably stop psychoanalyzing Laman and Lemuel, but we see this a lot in scripture, actually. They're angry because I bet you deep down they know that Nephi is right. And they hate having to confront the fact that they are making an objectively bad decision. There are a lot of other examples in scripture where instead of trying to argue a point that they know is wrong, the wicked party will just try and kill the prophet in some manner, make it go away somehow. I mean, they were just doing that with Lehi. Not necessarily Lamb and Lemuel, but all of the people. They literally have left Jerusalem because that was just happening. <laughs> right, and you see it just in the Book of Mormon. You see it with Noah and Abinadi. You see it with the oh, the wicked judges of, I'm going to get the name of the city wrong, but Ammonihah, I believe it is, and they're you know throwing people in the fire to try. Like They can't argue the points that Alma and uh, Amulek are making, so instead they're just like, fine, we'll kill all these people instead and then maybe you'll say you're wrong <laughs> so it's just it's interesting to see when the spirit of the lord is with you there is truly no refuting it at least not effectively the only thing that people can do who are dead set against feeling the spirit is try and cover it up with anger and retaliation well and taking it like not to say taking it down a notch but but kind of taking it down a notch going back to how come follow me keeps highlighting that this is a family i mean i grew up with two brothers you grew up with four brothers and so i'm thinking of the way that siblings especially i didn't grow up with any sisters so i guess i can't say especially boys but <laughs> it's not a great sample size for both sides neither of us have a good sample size but i'm i'm just thinking about the like we were mad, so we beat him up. <laughs> and the the first question, come follow me, is, or the first little highlight thing is, I can forgive others. And this is like, so applying the scriptures to ourselves. I look here into verse 21. It says, and it came to pass that I did frankly forgive them all that they had done. And I did exhort them that they would pray unto the Lord, their God, for forgiveness. And I have always looked at that verse, the frankly forgive, as like how a fight between like me and my brother would resolve of me being like, fine, I'm sorry. And like the the um, very pressured. I'm saying sorry because mom told me to say sorry. That, exactly. But I looked up the word frankly in the dictionary because the frankly forgive is highlighted in come follow me and the definitions are candidly in truth and honesty and freely without restraint or compulsion and i really liked that the freely without constraint or compulsion because it's the exact opposite of what i was thinking of and obviously this is nephi so i should have that should have been obvious to me but I'm thinking about how Nephi says, I frankly forgave them and told them to go pray to God. And then they did. And how much like when we can approach, I mean, Nephi was just about to be killed <laughs> and he's frankly forgiving his brothers. And you can tell that the, I mean, Laman and Lemuel can tell that the forgiveness is so genuine that they go and pray and go and ask forgiveness. And it's like, I'm, I'm just imagining the, like the, the love and spirit that must have been with Nephi as he was giving that forgiveness and how I, the takeaway that I have from that is that I want to be as loving and forgiving in my own life and how that's something that I really need to work on that that's just such a such a skill that Nephi has at such a young age so early. And to go even a little bit deeper into that, I would posit the argument that Nephi probably had a pretty good idea that his brothers were going to cause trouble again and potentially even try to kill him again. 
I would bet someone with the prophetic gifts of Nephi had a, a pretty good idea where this road was going. I'm sure he hoped it wasn't going that way, just like we'll see with Lehi, and he obviously is doing his best to prevent it from going that way. But all that aside, he still forgave them. He knew that the Lord had commanded them to flee Jerusalem as much as he had received the commandment through Lehi to flee. So he continued to travel and cooperate with them. And bringing that around to our lives, there are some times in life where we get to forgive people and then maybe step back a little bit and kind of try and distance ourselves from the issue, from the problem. And then there are other times where we forgive, have to forgive people and then continue to engage with them, even if we know that there are going to be future instances where we have to keep forgiving them. And the important takeaway from that, obviously, is that there always has to be forgiveness. I also like how in this Nephi specifically says, I did exhort them that they would pray unto the Lord their God for forgiveness. Nephi knew well the principle explained in Doctrine and Covenants where I, the Lord, will forgive whom I will forgive, but of you it is required to forgive all men. He Nephi knew that, and he knew it's like, I don't, I don't know what God's opinion is going to be with you guys, so pray to him for forgiveness, but as for me, I'll forgive you. It's not my place not to. I really just love that example. I didn't, I mean, I, I highlighted it in my notes, but just talking about it more just makes me so much more in awe of Nephi's I don't know. I really can't get it out of my head. This whole frankly equaling freely thing and just the, the freedom that forgiveness gives us in our lives is talked about in the gospel so much. And I feel like it's so brushed off. And I think if we, if we want true freedom, then obviously we follow the gospel. And one of those big principles is forgiveness. And I think that's exactly what Christ means when he says, follow me for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. We always talk about how the gospel path is not the path of least resistance, how you have to make hard choices in the gospel. And that's absolutely true. But when Christ says my burden is easy and my yoke is light, I think what he means is give me your burden. And when you take my yoke upon you, I will take yours upon me because we can't handle the burden of not forgiving. We can't afford to not forgive people. Christ is the only one. I mean, Christ and obviously our Heavenly Father are the only ones qualified to withhold forgiveness from people. They're the only ones who can claim that right. Let's go on to chapter 8, Into the Vision. Lehi's rendition of the vision. What do you have highlighted, Kendall? The vision gets talked about a lot, which is great. Uh, So I tried to go a little easy on the highlighting and make sure that it's only things that I thought I really had something new to say. So I have my first one is down in verse 18. Um, The only thing that I have before that is in verse 8. I feel like there is a big parallel between Lehi and Joseph Smith first vision and that was just something that i wanted to touch on and then down in verse 12 when he's talking about how he's desirous that my family should partake of it also i think that goes along with our come follow me theme of families all right we can spend more time on the others if you want that's okay i just kind of wanted to highlight them and just slide them in here if you have any comments on them i i just thought they were pretty simple thoughts not necessarily like deep dives no, that's good. I actually, I didn't catch the parallel between Lehi and Joseph Smith. I think that's actually really neat. Um, yeah, just the mist of darkness and, and praying to God for deliverance. Yeah. Um, so in verse, so verse eighteen says, and it came to pass that I saw them, referring to Lehi seeing Laman and Lemuel, um, but they would not come unto me and partake of the fruit. So. In this vision, Sariah and Nephi and Sam have already come and partaken, and Lehi wanted Laman and Lemuel to do so, but they wouldn't. And this is just kind of like I was saying at the start of the lesson, this is just one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the whole story of Lehi's exodus. I just, I cannot imagine the pain of wanting 
so badly for your wayward children to come back and to have that incredible reunion that the father of the prodigal son got to have. But sometimes it doesn't happen, at least not in this life. And Lehi and Nephi keep the faith regardless. But I don't know. I just wanted to kind of put it out there to the world that if you're going through a situation like that, you're not alone. Lehi still preaches to Laman and Lemuel. He still tries to bring them back. Even though he had had what he knew to be a prophetic dream, evidently that doesn't mean there's no chance because he he kept going. He kept trying with Laman and Lemuel. God will never take away agency. Um, none of our efforts are wasted, no matter who we're talking about, who you're trying to help. Your efforts are never wasted. And I do believe that the Lord works miracles and softening hearts. But yeah, that's it is one of, the, to me, the, the saddest moments in really the entire Book of Mormon until you start getting to the horrendous stuff that like Mormon and Moroni see at the very, very end. But Just because Lehi sees that, that doesn't mean that he's like... It's not set in stone. It's Yeah, it's not set in stone. And then the actions of Lehi and Sariah and then Sam and Nephi do not automatically go to shun... Shun the non-believer. <laughs> right, exactly. I, thank you. That is really where I was trying to go with it that I wasn't able to spit out of just, it doesn't matter how much, I would suspect most of us have not had prophetic dreams about people not coming to the tree of life, but it doesn't matter how unlikely it seems that someone is going to come back. We absolutely still have to keep trying and we still have to keep extending that helping hand and keep trying to guide them back to the iron rod. There's no excuse not to. Literally no excuse not to. And I also think another highlight on that, I mean, we're going into the weeds here for a second. Weed eating with Amberly. I don't know. We should make a segment. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But just going into, like, Lehi, as the father of Laman and Lemuel, has a divine calling to be able to know and be entitled to that revelation of when it would be okay to like push a little bit and not totally alienate his children. And I think that it's good to highlight that you can just be someone's friend (laughs) too. Like you don't have to, to help them back to the iron rod. You do not have to be spitting out scriptures at them and, and doing all of doing too much. There is such a thing as, as doing too much. And I think, You'll notice that the only times that Nephi and Lehi, you know, cause Laman and Lemuel's frames to quake is when Laman and Lemuel are being extremely antagonistic. I don't think they have like, you know, daily sermons about repent ye, ye wicked fools (laughs) or whatever have you. I think most of the time, yeah, it's just like, let's be brothers. Let's be father and son. Let's just make it through this wilderness trek and reach our land of promise. Yeah. If we're highlighting families, the thing to highlight, I mean, the thing that I've learned in my family, my family of origin, is that just having love is the way to preach of Jesus Christ. That's my biggest thought Absolutely, Absolutely. Uh, The next one I have is until 28. Okay. I am in 24. So this is, so 24 and 25 24 always gets me. It says, And it came to pass that I beheld others pressing forward, and they came forth and caught hold of the end of the iron rod, and they did press forward through the mist of darkness, clinging to the rod of iron, even until they did come forth and partake of the fruit of the tree. And after they had partaken of the fruit of the tree, they did cast their eyes about as if they were ashamed. And this group of people... I'm going to read verse 28 because I think I literally, I could have highlighted what you just read and have it be the exact same thought. Okay. So it says, and after they had tasted of the fruit, they were ashamed because of those that were scoffing at them and they fell away into forbidden paths and were lost. So the part that I highlighted was them pressing forward and then getting to the tree, clinging to the rod. And I always read clinging to the rod and I'm like, this, these are the people I, I always forget. I'm like, these are the people, these are the ones that get the fruit. And then it goes into them being ashamed. And I think that this to 
to me at least, this is a lesson on perfectionism in the gospel and how um, my opinion as a member of the church who has faced disciplinary action, who has fallen away into the midst, into the mist of darkness for a time and then come back. I think that my biggest thing is that to survive in this church and to survive in the gospel, you either have to pick being a perfectionist or being okay with not being a perfectionist. <laughs> like y- you have to give up your perfectionism to to survive. You can't cling to the rod. You have to be okay holding to the rod and enduring. I don't know. Tell me what your thoughts are, Kendall. No, that I'd never thought of, again, I've never thought of the phrasing like that before. I I definitely agree that I mean, just like with everything, you got to find the balance. You got to hit the straight and narrow. Yes, there are certain things in the church that have to be done certain ways, but there's a lot of things that don't. (laughs) And sometimes I think someone finds a good way to do something, and then they think that that's the only good way to do it. And I think that creates stumbling blocks that don't need to be there, and we can give those up. So, Absolutely. No, absolutely. There's the clinging, and then there's, after casting his eyes about, the... uh, the bit great and spacious building where everyone's mocking and really just the, the mental image of eating the fruit, tasting that it is sweet above all other sweetness and that it's just the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then after that, it's just like, Oh, but they're making fun of me for it. So I'm going to leave. And it's like, you think to yourself, why you're already there. Where are you going? But it's so, so relevant to the modern day. Practically, our entire lives are structured around watching people get mocked in one way or another. It's either ruthless competition on like the international scale where you see people calling out other like politicians calling out other nations and all this other like making sure that you fear the other and you're saying they're bad because of X, Y and Z down to the extremely personal like with social media where every other post is complaining about one thing or another, and it may not feel like a personal attack, but to someone it's a personal attack. There's always a person behind whatever you do on social media. It just, it's difficult for us, for anyone, to not take offense at some point. Something's always going to offend you, and something you do is always going to offend someone. And the important thing is to not take that offense. Maybe you can feel the offense, but you can let it go. You don't have to take it into yourself. And that is what will drive us away from the tree of life, whether it is shame from without, offense from within, whatever it is, we got to let that go so that we can stay with the tree. This makes me think of, do you know the book, The You Are Special, with the dots and the stars stickers? I do. (laughs) Um, I love that book. <laughs> I think so many people do as you roll your eyes at me. I think this situation fits that scenario very well of these people are clinging to the rod. All they are seeing is the rod. All they are seeing is the thing is in the church. So not necessarily gospel wise in the church, you can be doing everything right. You can be getting all of these little star stickers clinging on to that like I am doing everything that is right and then you finally get to like your these people had an end destination they were not doing they were not on the iron rod for the journey of the iron rod they get there they have all their stars and then all these people are making fun of them like the uh the girl at the end of that book that has all the that doesn't have anything and exactly what you were just saying of these people were so concerned with with others rather than with where their standing was with the Lord. They were worried about their standing with other people that their focus made them slip up. Their focus on the wrong thing made them slip up. I mean, we go into this. I'm, I'm sure we will talk about this when we hear Nephi's rendition of the tree. But the people that stayed in verse 30... 
they came and caught hold of the end of the broad of iron and they did press their way forward continually holding fast to the rod of iron until they came forth and fell down and partook of the fruit of the tree and so these people fall down and are like their focus is totally on the lord they have they could care less if they were doing this for anyone else um they have no stars or dots <laughs> that's how i have seen it absolutely I don't have anything else for that chapter. As a matter of fact, I don't even have anything for chapter nine either. But I mean, the only thing that I have towards the end of chapter eight uh, is just these highlights of, uh, we already talked about this. Lehi is exhorting Laman and Lemuel to partake and saying, you guys didn't partake of the fruit. And it goes back to Incomponi, the concerned parent. And the only thing that I have in chapter nine Actually, I have a couple things in chapter nine. Sorry. Nah, go for it. Why are you apologizing? <laughs> it's a silly thing to say. The first thing that I have is in the first verse where it says, and all these things did my father see and hear and speak as he dwelt in a tent. And so going back to the, and he dwelt in a tent. You really don't need to be in any type of temporal situation to be able to feel the spirit. You can be in a lion's den. You can be in a tent in the wilderness. You can be in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and that kind of seems like I'm, I don't know, setting up for a joke or something, but truly, your surroundings are entirely irrelevant when your purpose for being wherever you are is to do the will of the Lord. Amen. My other highlight in chapter 9, we already hit uh, about fulfilling all of his words. So God will fulfill his words. Um, Where do you want to jump to in chapter 10? I have verses 8 through 10 all highlighted. Go for it. So, little context to the chapter. Uh, Lehi is prophesying, and he's making some very specific prophecies. And I'm always interested, I mean, we've all heard that people get revelation in different ways, right? Well, and sometimes, I mean, Lehi was at first told, hey, pack up and leave Jerusalem with your family. It's going to get destroyed. And that's all he knew. He didn't sit and say, it's like, oh, but by who? Do you think I could, like, you know, tell the king and we could, you know, raise, raise an army and we could just beat them instead like we've done in the past? He didn't do that. He's just like, oh, okay, bye. But now he's getting very specific prophecies. He's saying, oh, it's going to be by the Babylonians who will carry away those of Jerusalem. And then he says, 600 years from the time that my father left Jerusalem, so this is Nephi retelling the prophecies, that 600 years from when they left, a prophet would the Lord God raise up among the Jews, even a Messiah, or in other words, a savior of the world. So now they're given an exact time. And as he goes on, verses 8 through 10, yea, even he should go forth. So this is talking about John the Baptist now. Yea, even he should go forth and cry in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord and make his path straight. For there standeth one among you whom ye know not, and he is mightier than I, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. And much spake my father concerning this thing. And my father said he should baptize in Bethabara, beyond Jordan. And he also said he should baptize with water, even that he should baptize the Messiah with water. And after he had baptized the Messiah with water, he should behold and bear record that he had baptized the Lamb of God, who should take away the sins of the world. And I'm sitting here thinking, why does God think it's important that Lehi and Nephi and their righteous descendants who will have these prophecies... Why is it important for them to have them? Why do they need to know that Christ will be baptized in Bethabara beyond Jordan and that John the Baptist would receive a confirmation that he had just baptized the Son of God? Why is it important that Nephi and his descendants know these things specifically? Because God wouldn't have given them unless it was important for them to know it. And I also think One of the reasons is that in recording it, it acts as a second witness of the events in the New Testament. The fact that the Book of Mormon says these same things, that a family 600 years before it happened knew it was going to happen. And so these things were true. And so that's why it's important for us. And to be entirely honest, I don't know the reasons that these specific details would be important to the future Nephites. Maybe God wanted to make sure they recognize the importance of baptism. But at any rate, it's a good sign that this particular scene in the scriptures 
is extremely important and something that we should study very closely. Yeah, I have that and then a little bit of verse three highlighted just because, sorry, you don't have to go all the way back to verse three, but I just have that highlighted. And then what I have written next to it is Bible cross-reference because I remember growing up, I, I guess I just did not read my scriptures very closely because there are questions that I had that are easily answered. But I remember thinking to myself, I was like, was Jerusalem actually destroyed? Like, did they just leave because of, I mean, going into verse 12 and 13, it talks about how they should be compared like unto an olive branch whose branch should be broken off and should be scattered upon all the face of the earth. Wherefore, he said, it must needs be that we should be led with one accord into the land of promise unto the fulfilling of the words of the Lord. And so I'm like, were Lehi and his family just going on this trip to fulfill that promise of the Lord or did Jerusalem actually get destroyed? I mean, and we know from the Bible that the Babylonians and all all this, that, and the other. So we know that it actually happened. I guess I just didn't when I was growing up, but it's so interesting to, to look at. I can't remember if it was last week or the the week before that you talked about how, I know you've talked about it this week as we've just been talking. Uh, the If you want a spiritual witness of the Book of Mormon, uh, follow Moroni's admonition. And if you want a temporal testimony of the Book of Mormon, listen to Hugh Nibley. Yes. And so this is like, this is that little temporal highlight of here you go. Here's some like, here's some cross-referencing for you to do. And just think of it this way. If you didn't really realize that someone growing up in an age of extreme literacy and access to the Bible and Book of Mormon, do you really think that Joseph Smith would have been aware of a lot of these little details? Oh, for sure not. Just, just again, at, like you said, is a little nugget of like, sometimes it's interesting to look at the secular evidence of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon, even though it obviously is a far, far second to the spiritual confirmation. For sure. The comparison that I think of in my head is the, it's a want, not a need kind of thing. Okay, what? I actually don't have any other specific highlights okay then let's do my last little one that i would love your insights on in verse 17 it's towards the end it says i nephi was desirous also that i might see and hear and know of these things by the power of the holy ghost which is the gift of god unto all those who diligently seek him I'm wanting your thoughts on gift versus power. The power of the Holy Ghost talked about here that everyone can have versus the gift of the Holy Ghost that we get as members of the church when we are confirmed after our baptism. Do you have any thoughts on that? For sure. To talk about this verse specifically, he says by the power of the Holy Ghost and I mean, the Holy Ghost is the third member of the Godhead, so the power of the Holy Ghost is simply the power of God, which, so that that kind of exists in and of itself independently, regardless of what we do or don't do. But then Nephi says that knowing things by that power is the gift of God unto all who diligently seek him. So now there's an action attached. The gift of God, we have to do something to receive it. We have to open the gift, and that gift is opened. So it's available unto all, but we open it by diligently seeking God and diligently seeking for that confirmation by the power of the Holy Ghost. And so in a way, to then take it to, you know, the power of the Holy Ghost versus the gift of the Holy Ghost with uh, in association with baptism, obviously everyone can feel the power of the Holy Ghost or no one would ever get converted. No one would want to be baptized. But the gift of the Holy Ghost is once you have taken the action of baptism. That shows, like, if you were found worthy to be baptized, you obviously have done some amount of diligent seeking, and so that gift is now available to you. And it can stay with you for the rest of your life. But even after you've received the ordinance of receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, you may have opened the box, but you can close it again. If you're not, oh, for sure, continuing I, to diligent, diligently seek. So, I was thinking about that in my study. I haven't thought about this for 
a long time. <laughs> um, when I was disfellowshipped from the church for a little bit, I so clearly remember after working so hard to to not be disfellowshipped. I don't know, like what the <laughs> to refellowship. Yes, all that to to be in good graces again. When I decided to take a step away from the church for a time, and then in my coming back repentance process of that um, led to some disciplinary action. And at the end of that, after um, meeting with my branch president, so for so many months and, and doing all of doing the work. So taking these actions, I so clearly remember, I think it will be burned into my brain for eternity. When I got my temple recommend back And he was like, yeah, take the sacrament again. Here's your temper recommend. Like it was such a, it was such a monumental thing. And the like, it felt like the floodgates were open. Like I felt like I had this power of the Holy Ghost, this enabling power of the atonement, like all of these things working in my favor. But then the, just the gift of the Holy Ghost to have the Holy Ghost with you all the time. When that was like, I don't know if reinstated is the right word, but I, I remember feeling so, I just remember that feeling and how powerful it was. And so I just, I really like highlighting the power versus the gift because I think that people could make the argument of like, well, if we all have the power of the Holy ghost, then why would we need to be baptized and be confirmed to get the gift? And it's like turning up the volume Right. The gift is that you get to feel the power all the time if you're worthy. And I mean, you thank you for sharing that because you hit the nail right on the head. The entire purpose of church disciplinary action, I'd say, and technically there's two purposes, but the far greater purpose is to help those undergoing the process to repent and come back. The hope being that by recognizing the absence of of the blessings of full fellowship in the church, you will learn to recognize their worth that much more type of thing. What you described is the system working exactly as intended. For sure. I had a very blessed experience with church disciplinary action. I think that's a good place to leave it. Did you have anything else to say or add? No, there was a lot of good thoughts. Like we said earlier, there's so much you could dive into with Lehi's dream. We had to be really picky and choosy, but... I mean, lucky for us, we get Nephi's version next week. Get the director's cut. Yes. Thank you all for listening to the Sunday School Supplement. We are so happy to have all of you here with us looking at analytics. It's like 10 of you, which is crazy. (laughs) So thank you for listening, for following us. If you want to rate or comment on the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to, we would love to hear from you and see who you are. Push all the buttons. (laughs) It's not even push all the buttons. I just am, I'm curious to know who is actually listening. But yeah, we also have an Instagram page, the Sunday School Supplement. If you don't want to suffer through these hour-long episodes and you just want little real clips i've been working on that too but yeah we're grateful for you guys listening we're grateful to be here making the podcast so yeah thanks for listening and we'll see you in the feed next week bye